If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, we'll continue to follow uh, developments in Christchurch, New Zealand through the afternoon. We had a lot more to get to on the program as well. More time for your calls, your text, 403-974-8255. A couple of important topics I wanted to get into with uh, our next guest here. We've been talking this week, well, once again, about uh, measles outbreaks, concerning even here in Calgary that people may have been exposed to a confirmed case of measles, uh, and why we're seeing these outbreaks. You had this week the uh, American Medical Association. Uh, try to to put some pressure on social media giants to stop the spread of anti-vaccine misinformation. I mean, Facebook in particular, I think, is is there's cause for concern there, and the sorts of things that are being spread. And there's a connection, obviously, right? As we see uh, vaccination rates decline in in certain parts of North America, those communities become more susceptible to to these outbreaks. So I want to get into that issue. We also spoke recently about some of the ethical issues around gene-edited babies and using the CRISPR gene editing technology uh, to, to design babies, essentially. There was some very controversial research published recently out of China. Well, there's a, a paper that's just been published this week calling for a moratorium on this kind of research. I want to get into that as well. Joining us uh, to talk about these matters, very pleased to welcome back to the program, Dr. Arthur Kaplan. He's a medical ethicist. He is the doctors William F. and Virginia Connolly Mitty, professor of bioethics in the Department of Population Health at NYU Langone Health. Professor Kaplan, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me back. Well, let's start with the issue of, of CRISPR technology and, and using this technology on, on humans. Do you support the call for a, a moratorium? You know, I don't. And it's not because I think people should run out and start engineering human embryos to make super babies, but I do think we should continue to do research on embryos, and in this case, spare ones that are left behind in in vitro fertilization clinics. Parents don't want them anymore. They're just going to get destroyed. I think we should still try to perfect the technique. And the reason, Rob, is there are a ton of diseases that are genetic diseases that kids get, sickle cell, Canavan's disease, um, Huntington's disease, uh, many, many others, cystic fibrosis, which I think you could fix in the embryo if you perfected this germline engineering, this, this technique that this Chinese scientist announced he'd done without any approval or without any forewarning. Mm-hmm. The technique isn't ready to go. It's not accurate. It hits. I think of it as using a scissors to snip our DNA and then insert a correction where there's been a typo. Does that make sense? Yeah. But we can't yet say with certainty that we're snipping in all the right places or that when we put something in, it goes in the right place. So you got to do the research. And I think the research should proceed. The moratorium says don't do anything, and I don't agree with that. I think we should still try to eliminate... These terrible genetic diseases, hemophilia being another one. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see those cured, eliminated, uh, 
taken out of the human population completely, and then we can fight about whether we want to try to make taller babies or stronger babies. But right. the case for disease is pretty good. So, yeah, you, you would draw a pretty clear distinction then between uh, genetic editing that, that adds a trait versus genetic uh, editing that removes a predisposition yep. to a, a genetic condition. And I think it's a bright line. I mean, I think you can say, look, we're going to go here and we're not going to go further. Sometimes people say to me, well, you know, once you open the door, it, it's the road to eugenics or we're going to be making uh, super babies like the film Gattaca right. illustrated. We could do that, but I don't think we have to do that. If we're just in the business in medicine of repairing things, uh, trying to cure things, then okay, that's uh, that's where we should stay. If the people don't want to go further, I'm fine with that. I don't think the case is strong for going into the realm of super babies. Mm -hmm. But if you have seen, you know, a child with one of these terrible genetic diseases, it's pretty hard to say, nope, we're not going to do anything on that. We're not going to research it. But then you don't think it's a binary choice between the moratorium and otherwise it's a free-for-all. It's, it's not either or then. Right. You could do controlled work on human embryos. And I know some people are saying, well, wait a minute. I'm not sure I want you to research human embryos. But again, you take embryos created at infertility clinics. No one wants to use them uh, because the parents have abandoned them and given up on trying to have a child or they had children. And their clinic is just going to throw them out. That's the place to get embryos to do research on. Well, the research, as done initially by this, this team in China, that, that's at yep. the center of this controversy, that, that went too far then. They tried to repair in an embryo uh, the susceptibility to getting AIDS. That's what the guy said he was doing. By the way, never published a paper. It's all press release journalism, yeah. presented these claims at a meeting, but we've never seen anything in print, so we assume he's done this. And he said, you know, uh, the father of these kids has HIV, so I'm going to make it harder to transmit. Well, the problem is we don't know genetically how to do that, and there's something called sperm washing, which is exactly what it sounds. You try to get a sperm donation and wash off the HIV virus, and that works about 97, 98% of the time. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to do this. What he claimed he wanted to do was something that uh, we don't need to do, and we still aren't sure that in trying to do it, he's not going to miss his mark and hit some other part of the baby's genome and cause a problem. So it was way premature, and it was, I think, unnecessary. Well, yeah, and, and as you say, I mean, it does even sound like a, an odd premise for that kind of experiment that yeah, I guess if he's going to go down that path, there may be more uh, easily definable ways of, of saying exactly. that. Right? Better targets. Yeah, you know, better, better targets. diseases to go after. Yeah. Ones that we don't have a cure for or something that already exists to prevent the problem. Yeah. I guess, you know, whether or not there, there's any kind of a moratorium, there's really no global body to administer that, is there? I mean, if, if some scientists are determined to press ahead anyway, is a, a moratorium basically, you know, moratorium on paper? Yeah, well, it's funny you should ask that because in a week or two, I've got an article coming out um, which basically says, hey, you know, moratoriums are nice, but where's the teeth? So what I said was, look... Journals have to agree that if somebody breaks the moratorium, they're just not going to publish the guy's article or the woman's article. You won't get into print, which is life and death for scientists. You have to agree that you're not going to get any more grant money, life and death for scientists. In other words, where are the penalties? What I tried to argue in this uh, soon-to-be-out paper is let's get tough on the penalty side. I might even propose a jail sentence for somebody who did this outside the moratorium. Yeah. 
Well, again, but I mean, you know, certain countries, maybe that's enforceable. Other countries, there's a, there's so. a hands-off <laughs> approach. Well, yeah. well, you know, the publication thing is enforceable. You can publish yeah, it in the North true. Korean Journal of Genetic Engineering, but I don't think it's going to have the same heft as it would in an American or a Canadian journal. So uh, some of this you can really enforce. Uh, and no yeah. invitations to meetings, no talks. You know, you basically shun and ban people who break the rules. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there's still the broader pursuit of what could be very beneficial technology for humanity, and we can't lose sight of of those potential benefits. Right. So my argument is moratorium on putting engineered embryos into women. Don't try to make babies. But let some forms of research proceed just in dishes in the lab, because I think that's how we'll perfect this technique to make it work someday. Not ready for prime time yet, but let's keep the research side going, but let's stop what scientists and doctors call the clinical side, which just means using it in an actual woman to try and have a child. We shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of preventing diseases, let's, let's talk about vaccines for a moment. Uh, a lot of concern being raised about some of these measles outbreaks we're seeing and some of the anti-vaccine uh, propaganda that's really proliferating on the Internet, in particular on social media, enough so that the American mm-hmm. Medical Association has called for action. Uh, you know, at the same time, we want to recognize, I guess, individual choice, but um, their broader, broader societal interest in, in having high vaccination rates. How do we balance all of that? Well, you know, we do spend a lot of time trying to defer to parental choice in a lot of places. Say you have to get your kid vaccinated to send them to school, but mm-hmm. then they don't prohibit the unvaccinated kid from coming to school if there's an outbreak or they let the parents pick an exemption. That happens in Canada. It happens in many states in the U.S. where they say, well, I have a religious objection or I have a philosophical objection. Those objections are almost always fueled by worries about the safety of vaccines. So two points. One, I think the safety argument is still bogus. I don't claim that vaccines are 100% safe, that no one ever had a problem. But if you look at the dangers of mumps and flu and measles, uh, HPV virus, which causes cervical cancer, they way overwhelm anything from vaccines. And I know people are worried about autism, but that link just doesn't exist. Paper out today, Rob, that shows you can predict autism in a child by doing a brain scan on a newborn at age like five days. Well, that's way before anybody vaccinates. And if that doesn't quiet down fears about vaccines, nothing will. That is, I can forecast with a pretty good likelihood who's, which babies are going to become autistic, then something else is causing it, whatever it is. Maybe something genetic, as a matter of fact, that we could use that gene editing to fix someday. Um, and then the social media stuff just fuels this misinformation, right? You Google vaccine and you get 10 anti-vax crazy sites with people either saying that vaccines cause autism or mercury poisoning, or you get some of the, uh, you don't need to get a vaccination. You can stand outside, breathe fresh air, and eat blueberries, mm-hmm. none of which is true, but that stuff spreads all over the Internet like wildfire. Well, and I mean, there's been research to suggest that, that some people who, who have deeply held beliefs that presenting them with counter-information only further entrenches them in their beliefs. So uh, it, it may be less effective with some, but I, I think there are those who just generally don't know and, and who are maybe yeah. at least potentially open-minded to, to the evidence. Do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. I think the dyed-in-the-wool opponents of vaccines, I don't think you're going to convert them. So you're either going to decide that they can't exempt or if they're not going to vaccinate, then they got to keep the kids home during, say, flu season or if there's a measles outbreak. They can't just 
send them to the airport or wander around downtown Calgary, putting everybody at risk. The people who are hesitant or worried or trying to do the right thing, I think you can persuade them, but you got to get the nonsense off the Internet. I saw Amazon today removed a couple of books that were touting crazy cures uh, for autism, which, you know, just bunk stuff. And I think Facebook and Pinterest and all the rest of them have to try and at least make sure that legitimate information comes up first. I'm not trying to censor the Internet, but... You know, you, you don't have to look at the 10 crazy sites before you get to the pediatrician site that tells you about vaccines. That one ought to come up first. And then I would say, look, you got to remember, you vaccinate for two reasons. One, protect your kid, but two, protect other kids because some kids out there can't vaccinate. Right. If they have a transplant or immune disease, they're going to die if they get the measles or the flu. So you got to be a good neighbor. You want to think about the obligation to do that. So that's part of the rights issue as well. Yes, parents have rights, but so does the uh, parent of the sick kid, and so does society to say we don't want epidemics. Well, exactly. We'll leave it there. Professor Kaplan, always appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for joining us here. All the best. Uh, That is Professor Art Kaplan, uh, bioethicist at the Department of Population Health, NYU. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.